What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Is the $3 trillion club about to get its founding member? Apple approaching that incredible milestone, a reminder of the amazing tech run to start this year. Our investment committee sizing up the rally, how much longer it might last. And joining me for the hour today, right here at Post 9, Josh Brown, Liz Young, Joe Terranova, and Steve Weiss will take you to the markets this holiday-shortened week. You do have a down day for stocks across the board. However, we're focused on Apple and for obvious reasons. New all-time high today, Josh. Approaching $3 trillion in market cap. It's only five bucks away. Only five bucks away. Yeah, it's, listen, it's, uh, it couldn't happen to a more deserving stock, I guess, would be the first comment I would make. You probably cannot find a company as dominant as Apple with as much of a grip on its user base and a company that continues in every generation to improve its products. And yes, there are misses along the way, but mostly hits. And the hits end up producing uh, profits for many, many years as those iterations happen. Every time they release a new model, there seems to be almost instant demand. And, you know, that'll stop at some point. But I've been hearing that it'll stop imminently for 20 years, and it hasn't happened yet. So that is why Apple is where it is. But one thing I want to point out, and Warren Buffett makes this point when he does his uh, comments on Apple in every year's shareholder letter. This is a company that is prodigiously purchasing its own stock. And as a result, consider this. The market cap peaked on January 3rd, 2022 at $2.97 Back then, they had 16.33 million shares outstanding. Today, Apple's market cap is 2.91 trillion with only 15.73 billion shares. That is how you can get a situation where it's a record high price, but not a record high market cap because Apple has been consistently shrinking its float. Shares outstanding are down about 4% since early 2022. And they've been doing that kind of thing year in, year out. Mm -hmm. So actually, uh, on a price basis, the stock is 3% above that old 2022 high, even though the market cap isn't quite there yet. And if you're an Apple shareholder, what that means is with every passing year, more of the company's profits accrue to you simply because you held the stock, didn't sell it. Um, and proportionately, as that share count shrinks, you become larger on the cap table, if you will. So, Weiss, I go to you because Josh owns it. Joe owns it. You know, Liz doesn't talk about individual stocks. You don't own it anymore, right? <laughs> why do you trade this? Why not? Why don't you just own it? Why, what's the point? Um, well, obviously, I should own it. Shouldn't have sold it, right? But hindsight's always twenty twenty. Um, look, uh, the stock has moved, not moved up in the fundamentals. It's moved up because it's safety. Why is it up today? Because it's safety. And there's nothing wrong with owning a stock for those reasons. But clearly, if you took the name Apple off of it 
and you look at the financial performance in terms of what their revenue growth is, what their earnings per share growth is, it wouldn't be deserving of this multiple. Now, that's particularly a you know, just a very narrow view of it because you've also got to look at their recurring revenue. So not just um, talking about, about the App Store, not just because of their, you know, their storage, the cloud that you're paying for, not because of the other soft parts of it, mm -hmm. but the recurring revenue because people do upgrade their devices. That, that upgrade cycle is extended, but overall, you've got to question why the multiple expansion. So part of it's sour grapes that I don't own it, but frankly, it just doesn't deserve the multiple that it has on the financial fundamental performance. Now, I mean, you can you can debate, Joe, whether 30 times forward earnings is too expensive or not. You know, Weiss would make the argument that based on its projected earnings that it's too expensive at 30. But then again, he would make the argument and was making the argument at certain times that it was shouldn't be where it was at 26 times. Right, or, or you'd still own I it. think 26 times was still expensive again. Well, that's for what my it's point. A, compare it to companies that have had the growth and the multiples that, that, that have had, right? Take a look at Microsoft, for example. You know, how they've grown over the years. The actual recurring revenue stream, the installed base from a software company with software margins, right? Apple exists in, in large part because of the telcos. I'm exaggerating it, but if the telcos didn't support the upgrades, sure, but where would it be? I know, but this could be, Joe, you know, arguably the most powerful installed base of a consumer products company of all time. Of course it is. The retention yeah. rate in the ecosystem is over 90 percent. How, how many other uh, businesses have that type of retention? So I, I don't know, Steve. I'm sorry. Respectfully, I, a lot of these mega cap stocks, I'm not sure that valuation is the right guide for any of them. Um, and then I would include in Apple that is Apple a little bit rich at 31 times? Yes, it is. So, but two weeks ago, OK, we were ready to declare a massive failure for the Vision Pro VR headset when post announcement, the stock went down three or four dollars. So right, we were asking if there was going to be a, a headset hangover. Right. Uh, for, so for the stock, which had been running well, up. Into we, said, we concluded no, there will not be. Yeah, so yeah, there was exactly. <laughs> and we did, sure. that. we did that within two weeks. So, you know, we watched well, some did it in two minutes. But right. So we we, we washed we washed that all away. Um, and, and I think it's important to understand for, for the viewers, an S&P equal weighted strategy year to date is up. 3.9%. The S&P is up 14%. That's telling you everything you need to know on whether you have to own Apple or not. And trust me, I run an equally weighted strategy, so I know how detrimental that has been year to date. So you've got this, this wealth of passive investing. You have these zero dated options on the index funds, and that's going to drive a lot of the buying that we're seeing in Apple. And it's one of the reasons why I don't think you can move away from ownership beyond the fundamentals. But you're a good Hold on, hold on, hold yeah. on. Joe's a good representation um, here because you try to, for lack of a better description, I use this in quotes, play around with Apple as part of your strategy. You, you sold it from your, your ETF. And again, for not to be critical, but you learned the hard way about having to have a strategy that trades Apple rather than just owns it in your quality and momentum ETF. Well, momentum, mo momentum fell apart and without question. I mean, it was problematic for year-to-date returns that we lost the ownership of Apple in the first quarter. And the question was at the end of April, 
What do you do about that? Do you resolve that issue and go back in Apple once again? The momentum restored itself, and the answer to that is yes. But so that's you, all you but could you do. Could have stayed in it the whole time, thinking that the momentum was going to not based on the rules. Be found again, not based on the rules. Yeah. And sometimes the rules aren't going to work to your advantage. And in the case of, of the Apple rules. and others' names in December, that's what was being dictated. Scott, Liz, let, well, let me get Liz in first because it's representative, very much so, of what these stocks have done year to date while this why this stock is on the doorstep of three trillion because it's up 42 percent year to date along with many of the others in that universe whether it's microsoft at 40 or amazon at 49 and then the numbers just get ridiculous when you go to tesla meta and nvidia which are you know a hundred percent gainers plus so i mean you can, you have to separate why people are owning it and why they're going to keep holding it. I do think that there's a decent contingent in a lot of these stocks of people that are intending to hold them for the long term for good reason. But there is a, a force behind them right now with the valuation expansion that's happened. And I think if we do give it back, of course, these bigger cap names that have benefited mostly from it are the first to give it back. And you have to think about that from a portfolio management perspective, whether you're running your own portfolio or you're a manager of, say, a mutual fund or an ETF or whatever the case may be. If and when redemption requests come in, if and when rebalancing is forced to happen, the stuff that goes first is the stuff that's at the top, the stuff that's the most liquid, that's the easiest to get rid of, that you can stomach the most as an investor, particularly an individual investor. So that's not to say that I don't think Apple deserves to be at these levels and whatever the multiple is. I don't know what the right multiple is, but I think all of these stocks will give a little bit back in the near term because it just doesn't make sense to sustain this valuation. But likewise, who says like what what something quote unquote deserves to to trade at? And if, if you have the most powerful installed base in a consumer products company in history, why doesn't Apple deserve to trade at a super premium to what you think it does? That, that, that's a separate question than how I look at it. So every investor has a discipline. Joe's discipline was momentum. It lost momentum, so he had to sell. My discipline is on value. Should I have, could I have gotten away with owning it? Yes. No, Should but I have, keep owning it? No, but, 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 but I don't think that's fair because you have owned it. You've tried to trade in and it out of it. So what, what, what happened was, to your discipline when you bought it? Before? It was a lot cheaper when I bought it. When I bought the stockers trading below a market multiple with the brand and with the potential for growth, keep in mind they missed their estimates for the first quarter estimates when they used to give a quarter guidance out. They missed them. So that's why I bought it. So stocks, you know, I can't say, look, I'm going to own this. I'm going to buy it. And, you know, because it's got a great brand, I've got to say, I'm going to buy it because the valuation to me makes sense. I'll miss some, but ultimately your discipline is what's going to keep you moored to not losing tons of money. It doesn't mean you won't lose money, but every good investor, every investor should have discipline. The good investors stick with their discipline. Josh? I, I think uh, the first thing that's important to point out is that everyone in this building that we're in owns Apple in some way, shape, or form. It's the largest or second largest index weight in every fund, every index, every ETF. Um, it's it's dividend, it's growth, it's it's uh, you know it, it hits like so many different perspectives that is often included in portfolios. So people have 401ks, they have tremendous exposure to Apple. Do they have to also own the stock in addition to that? No, they don't have to. They don't have to make the decision that they want to be overweight, a company trading at 31 times earnings. But regardless, if you have a retirement account, if you own mutual funds, if you own index, you own Apple. 
So I think that's like a really important thing to point out. So what we're really debating today is, do you want to be overweight or not? If you have a strategy where momentum is one of the inputs and the stock breaks down, then yes, you're going to be out of it in that strategy, but not necessarily in your whole life because of all those other touch points in which you might have exposure to Apple. So I think you, you stay disciplined and you don't break the rules for any one particular stock. With all that being said, I've been in the stock forever. There's been a million analyst downgrades. There's been a million reasons to sell. It's been all sorts of sell Apple because blank. Hey, there, I, are, I, there are a couple sell calls on the street as we speak. Sure, maybe they'll be right this time. Uh, <laughs> iPad sales are slowing, sell Apple. China is a political issue, sell Apple. This reason, that reason. In the end, you've got people who will never own anything but an iPhone. Those people then are cross-promoted all of the other products in the ecosystem. And so they wake up in the morning, they put on their Apple Watch, they put their AirPods in their ear, and they walk to work with their Apple phone in their pocket. They use CarPlay in the car when they're commuting. It just, what, what stops that? And until that breaks, until something comes along that dislodges that, there are going to be people who are going to be willing to pay a premium multiple for the stock. And guess what, year in, year out, they pretty much get rewarded all the time. And that's because dividend, growth, buyback, all of like the things that you would want from a company. This is the company that gives it to you. So if and when it becomes the largest market cap and stays there, you can't say it's the company that doesn't deserve it. Can't say there should be somebody else in that slot because there isn't anyone more deserving than what this company has accomplished. And, and that's so, not my pitch. My pitch is that they don't deserve it. It's just that here's my discipline. Here's my investment strategy. No, no, no. Well, you I, did say my that they kids don't deserve, own it. They've you, never sold it. No, no, no. You, you, know? you did say that, that they don't deserve the multiple based on their fundamentals. You said it hasn't moved up in, in any way based on the I said, fundamentals. I said what I said was based upon their revenue growth, based upon their earnings growth, they don't. What I did say was, but take a look at the brand, take a look at the recurring revenue for a hardware company and for their software. I look at a software, the App Store, that adds another element to it. But I agree with I agree with what you're saying because if you were just basing the, multi, the PE multiple on current growth and and future growth for any other stock, you would not say, yeah, this is a smart purchase fundamentally. I think where Apple has been able to distinguish itself and probably why it's become the largest holding in Berkshire Hathaway is because yeah. of the reliability. And that's what investors are yeah. prior. Like, if you look at what investors are, are um, uh, magnetized to this year, they like that reliability that some companies in the S&P are doubt. providing. Without that's why Apple's getting a pass. I can draw a story around any company that I want to buy and violate the discipline everywhere. Mm -hmm. I can't just make an exception for Apple. Then you have no discipline. We use that's this making. In, in a way to just get into the, the market story at large, which, look, the, you know, the, the bears have criticized the, the move in the market, saying it's been too top heavy. And I read you all the results of what the mega cap tech stocks have done year to date. It's no longer, though, Liz, only tech that's working. OK, that's month to date, industrials up seven and a half percent, materials up six and a half. The Russell 2000 is up six. The S&P equal weights up five and the S&P 500 value is is up five mm -hmm. in, a, in a way to suggest that the bulls are I mean, the, the the bears are losing a little bit of their uh, of their durability by virtue of those numbers, aren't they? Yeah, the story broke down a little bit, right, for the bears. And, and that's coming from one of 
the bears that's been the loudest about the fact that the market was top heavy and it was fragile. The rally was fragile because it was led by only a handful of stocks. And I've made the analogy a million times. If you've got five players on the basketball court and you're relying on the one person to make all the shots and he sprains his ankle, then what do you do? Well, now we have a time where what I think is happening is that you've had a good number of bears start to capitulate and have this feeling of, what if I'm wrong? What if this is the beginning of a bigger expansion and I missed it and I didn't quite see that the market was going to have this durability? So then you have a rotation that happens because we've talked already this entire show about discipline. And I'd like to believe that most investors do have some sort of discipline. So you've got people coming back into the market and saying, well, if I missed it, what am I going to buy now? I'm not going to buy the stuff that's up 100% year to date. I'm going to buy the stuff that's still reasonably valued that maybe hasn't participated as much in this rally and that looks reasonably valued versus everything else. So then enter small caps, enter cyclicals, enter the stuff that hasn't mm -hmm. participated yet. And it's held up decently well. We give back here and there, but it's held up decently well. And that's something that you do want to see at the beginning of a rally. The economic data doesn't support it yet, which is why I still question whether or not this can last. Uh, Joe, the, the bears, I feel at this point, are, are broken into a couple of camps. There's the, the bears who won't break for anything, i.e. Mike Wilson, who says stocks are, quote, as stretched as they can get. Um, so that's one perspective. And then there's the bears who might break. And I put Wolf into that category. That firm has been consistently negative on the market, not turning bullish, they say, but this quote unquote melt up could push even higher. Our sense is that U.S. equity markets could continue to push higher over the near term. The next definitive downside catalyst may not arrive until the next Fed meeting. That's late July. OK, that's the end of July. And that could happen this fall. I mean, not until the fall. So, again, it's the bears who refuse to break, the bears who are thinking about breaking. What's what's your take on that? What do we have about 10 days left in the month? Um, anything's possible as you move to the end of the quarter, in particular, the, the end of the year. You're going to see that there's going to be a lot of marking the tape, so to speak. I think the important thing for the viewers is to think about as you move into the second half of the year, the concept of rebalancing and utilizing rebalancing to your advantage if you haven't so, used it so far year to date. I don't think you wash away the concept that 2023 is going to be in totality a strong year. If the period of July, August and September is weak, I think you have to say to yourself, if I've been on the sidelines, if I've been underweight equities, this is my moment to get back in once again. Because on the other side of that, I think we have already confirmed that the Bears will be defeated this year unless you see an exogenous event. And I don't see the Federal Reserve being the exogenous event. I don't see earnings being the exogenous event. So I think about the second half of the year and I say to myself, I want to go back into this market if I'm underinvested. And I want to go back into the areas of the market that have outperformed year to date. Yes, industrials are near an all time high. The strategy is overweight industrials, but other cyclicals are not performing well. Look at energy. It is not 2022. It is 2023. I think investors need to understand that. The same could be said for healthcare. It is not 2022. So they're underneath the market. There's a mega cap put. It's clear to me. I think that remains in place mm -hmm. for the totality of the year. And if you think about the reasoning behind it, right, Target went into the consumer staple sector. 
When Target went into the consumer staple sector, I thought to myself, and I spoke to a few people at Virtus about this, what is the ultimate consumer staple? It's Apple. That really is the consumer staple. That's the name should, that should go into that sector. And I think that's why you stay with the mega cap put, because that's going to lead the market this year and coming out into next year. Weiss, what, would, what camp would you be in? Would you be in the bear who won't break camp or the bear who might break camp? Um, I've sort of been breaking a little, right? I've been adding some stocks as they hit a price point that I'm comfortable with, like deer when it got down to 448. So I, I, I just don't think those, I don't look those labels say I'm bear, right? Or a bull. I'm no, saying, I understand. But here's been, the opportunity. Look, you've been says. bearish the market for a long time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At some point, you're obviously going to turn. Right. And see things as, as the reason to be more bullish. I've been going in selectively. We near that point? No, not necessarily. No, not at all. Um, I still see a, an economy that is on the downslope, not on the upslope. The data that comes out, housing numbers aside, housing is a unique area right now because you've got such a scarcity of new homes. You still have supply chain issues. But when you get away from that, you see some data, a lot of the data that comes out, and some it's positive, some negative, but I think on balance, it shows a declining economy. Yeah, I know, but you could almost use the playground analogy. Are you, it, some would see a seesaw rather right. than a slide, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't think, you know, if, if you're a chartist, you need to see higher highs, right, to get really pumped up about it. And, you know, you see, you see lower lows to be really negative. You're sort of bouncing between highs and lows in certain areas. Depends where you are. So I don't, I don't know. I just haven't thought about it that way, Scott, so I can't give you a good answer. You know, as I see opportunity, I'll take advantage of it. As I see opportunity to sell, and I'm thinking about what do I do with deer here? It's been a great trade for a few weeks. Do I stay there? I think deer is vulnerable. It's going back down if I'm right in my economic view. But you sold out of the queues. I did sell out of the queues. I did. I did. Um, yeah, on Friday I sold out of the queues because I thought momentum was due for a pause. And the dialogue was that it's going to pause. So it was a good short-term trade. Um, I think things that, look, I, I took a look at NVIDIA. Forget the story. The stock traded traded up on on the earnings, trade down at 380, and then immediately it pops up more than 10%. That's just not normal to have that kind of market cap to a company. You're not talking about a small company. So I just thought the momentum hit a crescendo and it was time for it to come down. Well, it's also not normal to be in an environment, and I'm not saying this has a negative connotation right. to it in any way. Right. It's not normal to give guidance that is so far above where people were, that's the Astounding. reason. Fifty percent increase. That's the reason why they added right. the market cap. They did. It is not just out of some pie in the sky. Let's buy. Let's I'm, all I'm buy not the stock. I'm not criticizing that. I'm not criticizing anything. Great company, long term. You know, it's going to grow into its multiple. What I'm saying is, the momentum of the market it got hit right after the earnings. It traded up on the earnings, then it traded back down for whatever. What did it hit, like 420, and it came back to 380. Then it immediately pops back up to 436, wherever it is today. To me, that kind of momentum was not sustainable, and that could have been a blow-off top in momentum, particularly when the Fed's coming out there, and this is part of what caused it. And Keep in mind where the curve was. The curve was still looking for cuts this year. How unrealistic was that? So Powell came out and said, hey, you better sober up. There aren't going to be any cuts. As a matter of fact, there are going to be two more hikes. 
So to me, that was going to kill momentum. It started to, and that's why I sold it. I didn't get the top of the queues, but, you know, it was a good trade. It's still, Josh, above a trillion dollars in market cap, as is NVIDIA. Yeah, uh, I think NVIDIA is not uh, a good comp for any other company or or stock in the market. Uh, It is extremely rare to have a mega cap come out and double their earnings forecast, and that's what they did. We should not expect them to do that again, by the way. Um, so that was really a, a momentous day. I think it's the only day in history we saw a company add $200 billion in market cap. And this is not even one of the top three market caps. And its P.E. So, went down. Well, yes, because P. the earnings, went down. Okay. Because, because of the reason. That's even more astounding. Yes. Well, you, you, I mean, but not necessarily. No, I mean, we see that with biotech where they're projected. Know, they're, 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 agree. But they're projected to lose money. Then they get FDA approval. Then the analysts can raise estimates and therefore the stock rallies 50 percent and gets cheaper. It, it's 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 happened before. But putting it putting NVIDIA aside, uh, I think it's just really important to remember we're talking about the stock market, not the economy. And of course, there's a relationship. The economy was incredible in 2022. We were accelerating in employment. GDP was growing quickly. We really had an amazing economy. We had a terrible stock market. So this year, you could have a weakened economy and a great stock market, and it wouldn't be completely from Mars. And I think everyone needs to remember that when you're investing in stocks, you're buying a piece of the cash flow of the top 500 corporations in the world. You're not buying a share in GDP. Okay. Let's take a quick break. We come back. We'll do our calls of the day. Have an upgrade for one retailer down nearly 20% this quarter. Joe owns it. It is also one of Josh's stock summit picks. So we'll go through that. We'll give you the trade when we come back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. We're back. We'll do calls of the day. We're going to start with Ulta, Joe. Upgraded to buy from hold at Loop. You own it in the Joe T. Price target to 520 from 490. That's a pretty significant upside there that, that they see. A rare, attractive entry point is the commentary behind the call. I would agree with that. This is a stock that's been owned uh, in the strategy, strategy since July of 2021. And this is an opportunity at the end of May. You had an earnings-driven sell-off from 480 down to 440. Uh, It washed out further down to 400, and stock right now is sitting at 440, making a little bit of a comeback. But this is an opportunity to get into a franchise, okay, that has distinguished themselves as best in breed in terms of beauty, and more specifically, luxury beauty. And that's what's coming back, and to Josh's point before, if the economy does have the degree of resiliency, yes, sometimes the stock market is not the economy, but sometimes if the economy can be stronger than anticipated, the luxury brand will benefit, and that will have a direct effect 
on Ulta Beauty, which trades at a ridiculously reasonable valuation at 18 times. I know you're paying attention to that. Okay. I'm paying so, attention. I'm best in breeding beauty, by the way. This was... <laughs> no. Go ahead, Scott. No. Continue. No. You're not Ulta. You're not, hard no. you're not Ulta anything as it relates to that. Josh. Stock Stop. Summit pick yeah. was Ulta. Honestly, I forgot that I picked this. All right, I don't own it. Uh, but gross profit margins are actually up in 2023 versus 2021 when people said they were peaking. Uh, back then, it was a 35% gross margin. Now it's 40. The business is actually getting better, not worse. Uh, they've also grown revenue in the double digits, nine straight quarters in a row. The problem, I think, here is the comps. The last two quarters have been slowing. Uh, growth, but still very good growth. So I think actually Joe is going to be on the right side of this one. This is probably more of an opportunity to buy than sell. I have not personally uh, bought it, uh, but I do have it on my radar, and it might be something where I step in. I think Ulta's got a really dominant franchise in a tough but great business. Uh, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they can stabilize that growth rate um, that you'll see investors come back into it. Joe Chipotle also is on our list today. It was reiterated outperform at Ray J. So you, you, you own know, that in the Joe T. And let, let's again, I'll be critical of the strategy. It lost momentum um, in January. So we had the quarter where we were not in the stock. We've been in the stock since April of 2021. Again, it's best in breed in the quick serve restaurant business. They have figured out through exceptional management strategies how to deliver uh, to the customer beyond the traditional way. The traffic in the store has been strong and the momentum has returned. And this is a name that I think is a must own if you're looking at quick serve restaurants. Liz, how do you see the consumer related stocks right now? Not staples, but more discretionary in, in, in name, whether it's restaurants, retail or whatever. I was really enjoying all these guys talking about luxury beauty products. Um, look, I think there are a, they few, have any idea. a few industries. Yeah, especially Weiss. <laughs> that's, a few industries. That's really that, where your uh, where your enjoyment was coming from. We all know, but please. Sure. I digress. If you do see a downturn coming, I think there are a few industries that are sort of insulated from that. You've got pets, you've got weddings, you've got beauty products, and you've probably got alcohol in those categories too. So there are some stocks out there, there are some names out there that I think probably can weather a storm pretty well. Also, as somebody who has been concerned about the economy and the consumer spending picture for a while, here's the thing, the consumer will keep spending as long as the consumer is employed. And we've just gone through a 30-day to 60-day period where the market has rallied, inflation has come down, housing looks great. There's really no reason today for the consumer to feel worried about stuff, they're going to keep spending money. And the first place that you see it show up when they pull back is durable goods, not these smaller spends. So you know, still room, still a little bit of room to go. Probably. You know, a lot of times advisors will say to me, how do I invest around millennials? How do I invest around gens? How do I invest around future generations? Both of these stocks are a great example of that. Ulta Beauty and Chipotle are specifically names that a younger generation they're utilizing those brands and that's a great I would, way i would say i would say don't leave out the chunky millennial and let's put up a chart of shake shack <laughs> which has crushed chipotle this year s-h-a-k uh patty come on get me up there at a girl okay so this stock is up 75 percent this year it's not in the s p 500 but if it were i think it would be a top 25 stock they don't do ai i can assure you 
I have yet to, <laughs> I have yet to experience an AI chicken sandwich. Um, but this is another. This oh, is no, another. They, they seem to know what you want before you know. <laughs> That's true. Exactly. That's true. I can't. I can't deny that. Give me a pound on that. Uh, what are you doing after the show? <laughs> I wish I was going to Shake Shack uh, with you. I don't even go. The truck just follows me. It's yeah. weird. I don't know. All right, let's get the headlines now with Christina Partsinevelos. Hi, Christina. You mean the chunky millennial, but let's go to our CNBC News update at this hour. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced he will propose a new robust assistance package for Ukraine tomorrow. The announcement comes the same day Russia targeted Ukraine's capital city with another round of drone strikes. Kiev says Moscow launched some 35 Iranian-made drones. There were no injuries reported so far. The Israeli military says forces are searching for a gunman who took part in an attack that killed four people and injured four more at a gas station today. The military says another gunman was shot dead on the scene, which is near an Israeli settlement in the occupied West Bank. An influential public health group is recommending all young and middle-aged adults should be screened regularly for anxiety and depression, even if they don't have symptoms. This is the first time the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force has recommended a routine mental, mental health screening in a primary care setting. The task force says evidence did not show a need for a screening for adults that are 65 and older. Scott, back over to you. Christina, yep, I'll see you in a little bit. Thank you, Christina Partinevelis. Up next, the big news today that has Josh saying crypto is about to head into a new phase. He'll explain what he means next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is LinkedIn.com slash Halftime Report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to LinkedIn.com slash Halftime Report and get started. All right, welcome back. Bitcoin nearing a two-week high today. A new crypto exchange, by the way, backed by Fidelity, Schwab, and Citadel goes live today. EDX Markets supporting institutional trading of four cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin and Ethereum. And Josh, you say crypto. I, I saw an Instagram post of yours, which actually motivated me to, to want to do this. You say crypto is about to head into a new phase. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I was at uh, the, the Digital Assets Council for Financial Professionals, which is Rick Edelman's event. Rick Edelman's a financial advisor. Uh, Edelman Financial Engines is like $200 billion plus. He's probably the most crypto aware advisor in the country. And, you know, he had a packed house and it was all professionals and it's not people making coin memes. It's like people that are just trying to understand whether or not this is going to cross over. Um, And since that conversation, some very momentous things took place. And I just think they're worth considering. First of all, EDX, which is the exchange that Citadel, Schwab and Fidelity are backing. The important thing that distinguishes it from FTX and Binance and all the stuff we know the regulators don't like is that they're not taking custody. And I want you to understand the importance of this. They're they're telling you, show up with your own custody solution. We're simply going to be here to match buyers and sellers and handle price. 
that's probably a step closer to the way traditional exchanges work. We're here at the New York Stock Exchange. They're not holding customer funds. So that's one. Also, they're institutional. They're not recruiting Robinhood traders. So I think that's a big development. And the fact that they went forward with that, given all of the the fear and uncertainty and, and doubt in the asset class is key. There's credible rumors that Fidelity is readying something seismic. Don't discount those. Abby Johnson has personally been mining Bitcoin since 2014. And then the third development is BlackRock filing uh, an ETF application and has been pointed out. um, They've gotten like 500 yeses and one no over the years. They're pretty much undefeated. It would be very weird for them to file something just to get, you know, smacked back like the other 30 firms that have filed. Um, So either they know something or they want to make a point in getting rejected. And I wouldn't know uh, which is which. But I think if you're somebody in the institutional world looking for signs of life, um, these are three fairly important developments. I think they speak to just how unkillable um, the enthusiasm for Bitcoin is. It almost doesn't matter what happens. This asset class continues to draw attention and the focus of important people. And this week, I think, with all these new developments, really forces you to look back and say, what's really going on here? Why are these people running into a burning building? I've asked you this before, just to refresh our, our memory and, and the, our, the viewers as well. You own some Bitcoin? Yeah, Bitcoin, ETH, and then like tiny, tiny amounts of a whole bunch of things I wish I never heard of. Okay, but you don't own any of the, the, the Coinbases or no, things no. like that? Um, Josh sort of makes the point here, Joe, that that this might be an inflection point for the way, even in the face of, you know, Gary Gensler and the SEC having, you know, the very public opinion that they've laid out really within the last 10 days, sort of reinforcing that. I think, by the way, I'm sorry. I think this is a sign that Gensler is winning. The, the, The revolutionaries are not it doesn't appear the revolutionaries do not have any uh, momentum. The firms that have a proven track record of working with regulators and being transparent are the ones that seem to have the momentum now. And I think that's because the regulators are getting their way here. So but, I just want, I want to point out that that's what I really think is happening. Well, by that's the way, um, Doug Sifu, who's <laughs> been, I think, the most critical financial professional of the SEC and Gary Gensler that I can think of uh, is on the board of EDX, the exchange we mentioned today, uh, and Virtue is an investor, just to, to lay that and out Ken there. Ken Griffin, who so, hates Bitcoin, is, is, is his firm's project. But I, I think the way you think about innovation, any type of innovation, is, is generally you could get inside the red zone, to use the football analogy, but to get it over the goal line, you need within the industry the financially strongest players, the ones with the most credibility to get it across the goal line, because they're the ones that could navigate that red zone area. And I think the, col- the, the collaboration is exactly the type of collaboration that could do it. I also think the asset class is trying to traditionalize itself. It's been trying to traditionalize itself for a number of years. And, and I think the owners of crypto, one second, I yeah, think yeah. the owners of crypto, what they have to understand is that ultimately the way that you traditionalize crypto as an asset class is not through extreme price moves. Crypto doesn't have to go to 100,000 for it to be validated as a traditional asset class. It could be done so in, in the format of an exchange, providing in this instance a, the, type of, um, the type of access that we previously didn't have. 
And in addition to that, it comes in the form of smoother volatility and more normalized price moves like a traditional asset would. And I think that's exactly what's going to unfold here. And I'd focus on Bitcoin and Ethereum as the two vehicles that get you there. Look, this is a very simple story in terms of what's being done by Citadel and the others, is that they're not telling you that Bitcoin has intrinsic value. They're not saying that. They may not believe that. What they're saying is there's a market here. And the SEC has been very clear. They don't want the Binances and they don't want the Samuel Bankman Freeds of the world. They want the real companies involved. So it doesn't bless it as a currency. I don't think it'll, I'm not going to say ever, but I don't see the point where it becomes a currency, particularly with digital currencies coming from sovereign. But it does mean there's money to be made here. So if you take a look at the money Fidelity is putting in or BlackRock or Citadel, it's almost a free option for them. That if something comes out that legitimizes this, they will be there. They'll be there first. And that's who typically wins these things. So that's what they're doing. So for what they're outlaying here versus what they can gain trading these things over time, being mm -hmm. the next MYSE, it's well worth it. And they're going to own it. They're going to write the rules. Right. And they will write the rules. And Gensel will work with them to write the rules so you get the finances of the world out of it. So that's what's here. Don't mistake this for saying this is what you're going to be able to go and buy your Tesla with every day. That's not what's happening. You want to have just a quick last wrap-up word? I, to I totally agree with that. This is... This is very successful traders who have had a lot of success on traditional markets, taking the elements of those markets that clearly the regulators are okay with and retrofitting them onto an asset class that basically up until now uh, has been a lot of hype and a lot of thieves and a lot of uh, negative elements kicking that stuff out and just saying, okay, people are still going to trade this. Right. Here's how we can keep it in America, in London, in places with rules. And here's how we can make institutions uh, feel comfortable right. that and they're on an exchange where there's actually some rule if you want to speculate on this, now it's time to put good money into it. Because you've got major advertising budgets that if they get approved to be the exchanges for this, it's going to be on every airwave period. All right. Quick break. Then Mike Santoli with his midday word. That's next. Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator, is with us for his midday word. Michael, we got, all right, stocks are off a bit, uh, but Apple, how about that? Well, yeah, I mean, Apple is, uh, is one of the things that's uh, preventing the overall index from having a little bit of a, of a spillback, which you would actually anticipate this week after the run we had into the options expiration. I don't know what to say about it in terms of the story surrounding what Apple is doing. Maybe it's a little bit too close to $3 trillion for it not to just uh, kind of give it a touch and see how, how it goes. It's been on this crazy streak and this unusually orderly uh, kind of escalation of that stock price. If you look at uh, how the chart's been over the last few months, that's the way this one goes uh, at times. I think more broadly, what we're looking at is a market set up to just have a routine seasonal period of turbulence, maybe in late June. We'll see if we get it. Uh, sometimes when the seasonal stuff doesn't work, it's telling you the market, uh, market has uh, a little bit more underlying strength to it. Uh, but I do think that we're now at a point where you have to start to be a little sensitive to are we going to get 
uh, overstepped uh, on the greed side? And are we going to have sentiment no longer become friendly? I think you arguably have already seen that. That being said, market has chewed through every single big picture worry that was thrown at it. Dating back to January when we said it was only the junkie stocks rallying uh, all the way through SVB, and then it's only seven stocks rising. All of it has been answered. So we'll see if right now it's at a point where it needs to kind of reassess and take a breath. Good stuff, Michael. Thank you. I'll see you on Closing Bell. Mike Santoli up next. We have the setup on FedEx ahead of their earnings in overtime. We're back after this. Oh, we got FedEx reporting in overtime today. Shares are up more than 6% this month. That's heading into the print. Joe, you have UPS in the T. Why didn't you own FedEx? You did own FedEx. I, did, I owned FedEx a while ago. Um, it turned out to be a good sale. It looked incredibly cheap. It still looks incredibly cheap. Um, look, new CEO turning things around, a good first quarter. I suspect that this quarter he came out with guidance that will be beatable. Uh, freight rates have come down. But uh, it's more of also getting efficiencies here. As you know, I prefer GXO. Right. I just think it's a much better model, and you're participating in much of the better trends for outsourcing. So I said, Joe's got UPS. Liz, you, you watching the transports? I mean, you have to watch the transports if you're a macro strategist, right? It's a, a pretty big cyclical signal. And when you've got transports doing well, the Dow doing okay, it is a signal that I think this stuff could continue for a while. And again, back to what I said earlier about the consumer, if people are spending and they're buying stuff and it has to be shipped out and Amazon is doing okay, it's going to continue for a while. So I'm okay with transports. I think the signal is strong for the time being. Expectations are low. Robert Hum, part of our earnings desk, sends out just a a moment ago, ground volumes have seen five straight quarters of year-on-year declines. They've missed revenue estimates four straight quarters, Mm -hmm. something it hasn't done since 2015. Mm. We'll see what happens in overtime. Uh, I hope you'll, you'll check that out as well. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Join me, closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern time. We have Liz Ann Saunders of Schwab today. Uh, can't wait to talk to her about what's uh, going on in this market, not only today, obviously, but what she thinks is going to happen in the weeks and months ahead. So don't miss that 3 o'clock Eastern time. Also want to point out Disney uh, today. Certainly one of the stocks of the day. Uh, it is around the lows of the day. You guys think about this. This is for sure one of the worst Pixar debuts ever in Elemental, uh, which has surprised some. But the stock is big question mark about whether or not ESPN could be a standalone uh, property. I, I think uh, 85 is your support level here. So if you own it, you, you're okay. like, where do I? All right. Where, how, how much is too much damage? Maybe that's where your stop goes. And then below, maybe you reassess. But if it breaks 85, you're going to need a teddy bear. Yeah, there are uh, a lot of issues there. I mean, ESPN being one, I mean, they're losing business. Uh, the parks seem to be doing well, but media is such a big part of it. And they don't have a solution for the balance sheet yet. Well, the pain in there is Netflix's and sub, game. And subgrowth, as we know. Subgrowth yeah. should not have slowed to this degree so soon after the launch of uh, Plus. You got a final trade for me? Uh, Shake Shack, trust the process. <laughs> Liz, what do you have? Uh, I've got healthcare, actually, as an opposite of that. Uh, <laughs> it's Touché. trailing, trailing a bit. <laughs> All right, Joe. Netflix breaking out, DR Horton, stay with the home builders. Lennar, I don't own it, but, you know, the momentum's continue. Numbers today were great now. All right, good you stuff. You own it. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. I won't let my moderate to severe plaque psoriasis symptoms define me. Emerge as you. In two clinical studies, Trimphia guselcumab, taken by injection, provided 90% clear skin at 16 weeks in 7 out of 10 adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. In a study, nearly 7 out of 10 patients with 90% clear skin at 16 weeks were still clearer at 5 years. At 1 year and thereafter, patients and healthcare providers knew that Trimphia was being used. This may have increased results. Results may vary. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Trimphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of infection, including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at Tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Tremphia. 